All right, guess who I have on Zoom? I'm very excited. It's Beatlemania time right now, and I got the the Beatle guru right now, right in front of me. It's uh, Brooke Halpin. Uh, you know him, obviously, from uh, all his books, but also he's been my pal for uh, The Beatles Come to America. And we turn around, and we're down to the wire where we're promoting Let It Be, and now we have this documentary, Get Back. We have not Zoomed like this before, so... I don't know what his feelings are. I don't know anything that's going on with, with Brooke right now about this documentary. I have to admit, before I even talk to him, I am in a total Beatlemania. Th- I can't stop watching it. So I am I'm, uh, consumed with thoughts about what's going on with it. But I want to turn it over to Brooke. Brooke, welcome to our first Zoom. We had many difficulties just doing our, our thing on the phone. So hopefully this goes really well. Can't wait to hear what you think about the Get Back documentary. Well, Tom, uh, thank you so much, as <laughs> always. You know, it's great to Zoom with you finally yeah. after, you know, doing the phone bit for years. You know, not only did we do the Beatles Come to America series, you know, but you had me on many times mm-hmm. talking about different subjects and different aspects regarding the Beatles. So this is really a treat, and I thank you very much for having me come back on in a Zoom fashion today. Yeah, it's really wonderful to see you as well. I looked at it. Okay, yeah, we've been off and on for four years. So this is probably the first, the most time that we've had uh, FaceTime. When we did the Let It Be podcast, which is going to air uh, this week on, on Monday, that was in August 9th, 2020. And mm-hmm. when we started releasing the, the, the Beatles Come to America, uh, the intro to the Beatles was released January 27th. So basically of this year. So this whole year has been every two weeks, some kind of uh, Beatle release. And we're down to the wire. And we had no, we had inklings that this Peter Jackson thing was going to come out, but we had no idea of what epic release that this was going to be. And, and, uh, and we're really excited about it. It's just perfect timing to come back and get your opinion. We've been, I've been texting you and I'm like, what do you think? What do you think? <laughs> and, and then I went into seclusion because I, I, uh, you know, I obviously have a full-time job, but I watched, I've nothing but watched this documentary over and over. And I still feel like I haven't absorbed it enough yet. I can just do overall opinion of it. And, and, uh, you know, I think it's completely fascinating just uh, on many, many levels. But that's not how we do this here on, on the uh, the Beatles Come to America. We talk about what's your opinion on it first, and then I'll kind of give, give you my idea. So you watched the documentary. What was your thoughts? Okay. Well, first of all, I'm going to put it in the context that I saw the Let It Be movie when it was released in May of 1970. That's my context. That's where I'm coming from, okay? Because obviously, the Let It Be movie is the same time period at Twickingham, January 2nd to the end of January. 
And it also, the Let It Be movie, documented what was going on with the Beatles at that time. I remember walking out of that theater with hundreds of people in, in Hartford, Connecticut, and nobody said a single word. I, and I believe everyone else, based upon what we saw, were depressed. Prior to the release of the Let It Be movie, the announcement came out a month prior that the Beatles had officially broken up. So we were, number one, devastated that they had broken up. And then number two, we went to go see this movie about them breaking up. Breaking up, basically. The reason why the movie's called Let It Be is because as much as Paul, much more than John, George, and Ringo, Paul was the one in January of 69. He was the one who was determined to get back, get the Beatles back, because that's what he wanted to do. Paul had much, much more passion about that than the other three. John was already doing his stuff with the Plastic Ono Band, you know, with Yoko doing their recordings. Ringo was acting in, you know, with Peter Sellers and the Magic Christian. George was immersed more and continued to be involved with Indian music and working as an individual. So, so the, those three individuals were kind of like, you know, why are we doing this? Oh, well, Paul wants to do it. Okay, you know, so they kind of went along with it. But as, as everyone can see in the Get Back movie, and definitely in the Let It Be movie, that John, Paul, and, and excuse me, John, George, and Ringo, they really didn't want to get back. They didn't. And that's why they released the movie as Let It Be. Originally, it was going to be called Get Back in January 1969. That was what they were going to call it. And they were also going to call the recordings from all that work. They were going to call it the Get Back album, not the Let It Be album. But at the end of the movie, whether it's the Let, Let It Be movie or the Get Back movie, they decided that they had to name it Let It Be because they couldn't get it back. Okay. Now, the, the Let It Be movie, I've seen many, 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 many times. I've written about it in my books, and I know it very, very well. So I knew that Peter Jackson, he had to be working with the same footage, of course, an inordinate amount of footage. I mean, much more than what was used in Let It Be, in the Let It Be movement. A hell of a lot more. So I figured, well, I'm probably going to see some things that I already saw in Let It Be movie. And there's going to be some things that I didn't see in the Let It Be movie. And sure enough, that's what I saw. Now, the, the way that they did part one, the setup, of course, there's nothing like the Let It Be movie, because in 1969, anybody who went to go see 
the Let It Be movie, we already, everybody knew what happened when they came over here four years prior, you know, in 1964 or five years prior. We knew all that stuff. But to do the, let, the Get Back movie now, I understand that for people that obviously weren't even born at that time, and from a historical perspective, to set things up, I understand why they did the whole thing about them, you know, coming to America for the first time, their first number one in the UK and, you know, playing at Shea and all that stuff. And, you know, John making the comment about the Beatles are more popular than Christ. I understand as a setup that sets up what was happening prior to the Twickenham sessions in January 69. But what it does also it shows the striking contrast between how wonderful and how happy those four guys were together during the 60s. So I like that, okay? I like the setup. Then when we go to Twickenham in 69, you can see very starkly, no pun intended, Ringo, you can see that these guys are not the same guys. They're not. And so right away, it's a downer. It's not something that I'm really excited to see, having already seen the Let It Be movie many, many times. When they get into it, you can see that they struggled. In the beginning, when they were playing together, they struggled. I could see them struggling to play well, to have fun. They were trying to. There were some moments when they did, but for the most part, in the beginning of the, of the Get Back movie, they didn't sound good. They really didn't. This, this is the Beatles, right? Now, the way they did it in Let It Be, they showed you a little bit of that so that the viewer could see, okay, wow, you know what, it's not, they're not the same band, you know, that they were, you know, in 1966, 67, and even, well, 68 was when they really started to break up. But certainly 64, 65, when they were such a tight working unit and they really enjoyed what they were doing. You could see it and you could hear it. You know, they're not playing well. They don't sound good. They're not into it. Paul's trying like hell to get everybody going and okay guys, you know, it's gonna be all right and all that Paul stuff, which he does, very positive. But you know, John was, his heart was not in it. George's heart was definitely not in it. You could see it. He doesn't even want to be there. And Ringo is falling asleep sometimes. He's not really into it either. So I'm watching this and going, okay, right. Yeah, that's right. That's what it was like in the Let It Be movie. But in this movie, it went on and on and on. The same thing, trying to sound good, trying to get it together, brothers, all that stuff. And it didn't work. And I didn't need to hear that over and over and over again. I would have loved to have been the editor on this movie 
If I was the editor on this movie, it would be half as long. Okay. So they couldn't get it together. So what do they do? They start goofing around. They start clowning around. All right, let's try clowning around and see what happens. Did they sound any better when they were clowning around? No, I don't think so. And in Let It Be, they clowned around a little bit, but in Get Back, I'm like, oh my God, enough already. We don't need to hear this. It's too much. So then the most interesting part to me about the movie was they went in depth a lot more than the Let It Be movie about. What are we doing? Where the hell are we going to do this show? Is it a TV show? Are we going to play it in amphitheater in Egypt or in Rome or on a cruise ship? You know, all that stuff, which, by the way, I heard those actual recordings, which I have, which came out with the Let It, uh, Let it Be Naked album. There was a disc, one disc, Tom, that said Fly on the Wall. And it's the whole, con- it's a lot of conversations, most of which were not in the Let It Be movie. A few of them were. But a lot of what's on the fly in the wall disc in the Let It Be Naked album is in the Get Back movie. Okay. So again, they don't know what they're doing. They're lost. Paul wants to do the show. George doesn't want to do this. John is neutral. Ringo's neutral. And they go on and on and on. You know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Then you have, of course, the director, Michael Lindsay Hogg, you know, and he, I mean, he knows he's, he's working with the Beatles. He's, he's doing his best trying to keep this thing going because at some point in the get, in the get Back movie, and I believe also um, in the Let It Be movie, but more in the Get Back movie, Paul actually says, as he also said on the Fly in the Wall disc, well, you know, if we can't do this, then we should just go home. You know, he said that. So he knew that John and Ringo and George, especially, they were not working with him, so to speak. And then George is resentful, of course, because every time he wants to do one of his songs. And this the thing about George had been building for years. The fact that he was restrained. You know, he had songs that he wanted to record with them. And he was frustrated and you can see it on his face. So they go, they start goofing around. Okay, give me five minutes of goofing around. I don't need 45 minutes of them screwing around sounding like crap. I don't want to see that. It puts them in a poor light because we know them as great musicians and as great performers. And what they're doing is It's like they don't sound good and they're just goofing around like an amateur band. That's what they sounded like to me. They didn't sound like the Beatles that I knew. And they went on and on. So that's way too much for me. Way too much. Okay. So then when they finally get it together, like I guess it would be in the second part, and the songs are now taking shape. 
I did like the fact, I did like them. You can see them working on lyrics, which was really cool. I really liked that part. And you can see how the songs were starting starting to develop. And it was, it was quite interesting, especially with Get Back, the song Get Back, because I knew this already, and you probably did too, that it was a protest song about the Pakistan people flooding into England. And there was, as you heard, they played a whole, like a whole song, a whole version of it, you know, with those types of lyrics. That was very fascinating because at that point, they at least were starting to sound good. You know, they were starting starting to sound a lot better than what they sounded like previously in the Get Back movie. Then they were rehearsing the songs and we know what they are, right? Get Back, Don't Let Me Down, I've Got a Feeling, those three especially. And a little bit about I Dig a Pony, but that came in later. And they would play it. Okay. And it sounded pretty good. And then it, they would do it again. And then they would play 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 it again. And I'm like, hey, hey, guys, we heard it. You sound good now. We heard how the song developed. Thank you very much. We don't need to hear them playing Get Back six or seven times in a row or Don't Let Me Down six or seven times in a row. And once they got it down, it didn't change that much when they kept playing it. So to me, that's excess. It's excess and it's unnecessary. Then when we get into part three, well, prior to part three, of course, the whole thing about George, you know, he just said, I'm leaving the band. (laughs) I mean, I knew about that. You knew about that. And quite a few people knew about that. But to see it. In the Let It Be movie, you didn't see it. We heard about it in Let It Be, but this was really right in your face. And that was powerful and devastating at the same time. Then they, of course, George came back. They had these meetings, uh, which you heard about in the Get Back movie, which you didn't hear about in the Let It Be movie. And I like that. Meetings at Ringo's house. However, we don't know what happened at those meetings. We just know that one meeting, the first meeting, quote unquote, it didn't go well. Okay, we heard that. The second meeting, something happened. We don't know what the deal was. We don't know what John and Paul and Ringo agreed to do for George, for George to come back. Think about that. That was one hell of a meeting. We don't know what happened. But whatever they said, That's why George came back. And I'm sure it had to do with them doing more of George's songs and letting George have more of a voice into what's going on with the whole group. And as you heard, and as anybody who saw Get Back, George, once he came back, he was talking a lot more about a lot of things, many things. Prior to that, he was pretty quiet. So... When he started in, this is part three now. So he comes back and when they start playing his songs, they played them, but guess what? 
they didn't include them in, in the actual recording. You know, which was to me, you would think that after this quote unquote negotiation secret meeting that they had, you know, that they would say, okay, great, George. You know, they, they did one, as you know, they included I Me Mind and Four Year Blue, excuse me, they did two. Those two George Harrison songs. Isn't it, isn't it a pity? No. All things must pass? No. So that's that situation. And then, of course, you have Billy Preston coming in, which was a godsend. And the only reason why that happened, and this did not come out in the Get Back movie, the only reason why Billy Preston showed up, it wasn't just like Billy Preston was in London and he thought, oh, I think I'll just drop in and see the Beatles. <laughs> no. When George left the band, he went to a, a show and Billy was playing piano. I believe it was for either Ray Charles or for Little Richard, one of those guys. I'm sorry, but I can't quite remember. It's, Who was it? Patola Clark. Patula Clark. Yeah, was, Billy a, Preston was playing for Patula Clark, and he had a, I think she had a show on TV, and he was on TV. For, yeah. Oh well, we're here. I, I got different different reports here. Yeah. Supposedly George went to a live show, and and of course they knew each other from the Hamburg days, going back to sixty one and sixty two. So George says he invites him because he's thinking because even though he quit the band, he's thinking well. And I don't know if he saw Billy after the secret meeting or not, or before. No, we don't know. This stuff was not told to us. We don't know the sequence of events. So then now Billy Preston is in the studio. And you can see Billy Preston, of course, is tickled to death. I mean, the guy can't stop smiling, you know, for good reasons. And he, you know, he knows who he's playing with, and he's a hell of a keyboard player, as you could hear. I mean, this guy's a keyboard genius. So what, what he's doing, he's adding so much to the songs that he's making the song sound better. And as a result, if he's making the song sound better, then guess what? Then their playing becomes better. It was a very, very positive influence that Billy had at the Twickenham Studios when he finally appeared. So that was good. And then they get up on the roof and that pretty much was almost verbatim. Uh, that was in the Let It Be movie. There was a lot more, there was more though. There was more than what was in the Let It Be movie. The stuff on the street, you know, talking to the older people, talking to the younger people, the fans and all that. and. Some people who didn't like them at all. That was in the Let It Be movie. Um, the thing that was really cool, uh, we didn't know this at the time when I saw the Let It Be movie, is that Michael, the director, put a hidden camera <laughs> in the foyer of the entranceway into the uh, Apple offices. So you see these bobbies, they don't know they're being filmed. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was really, very cool. And then, you know, the whole thing, you know, up on the roof and they're they're doing. Now, the thing I did like, which you didn't see in Let It Be, was that downstairs, 
in the new recording studio was George Martin and John and um, John G Glenn Johns. Glenn Johns. Yeah. Yeah. Glenn Johns. They we we saw them and and the other Let It Be movie. We did we just thought they were just playing up there. You know, we didn't know either how they were going to be recorded or how they were getting recorded. But that was really cool to see that. And that's why they kept playing the songs up on the roof over and over again, because perhaps George Martin or Glenn, Glenn Johns, that's a funny name, John Glenn, Glenn Johns. Maybe they were saying something to Mal or to somebody, do another take, do another take because they wanted to get the best take possible because that was their quote unquote live show that they had been planning on doing and talking about for a month. The thing that really disappointed me was that in the let it be movie at some point it was, no, I know when it was before they did the roof concert they did these really beautiful studio pieces. Two of us, let it be the long and winding road for you blue. Those are the four that I distinctly remember. There may have been a few more. I don't know. But they were beautifully shot because they, the Beatles knew that was kind of like they were doing their, you know, music video thing, which they're fam they were familiar with. Mm -hmm. And so what did Peter Jackson do at the, at the end of the movie? He cut them up and he used just a little snippet of this one and another while the credits are going on. I hated that. I thought that was a total disservice because those clips that they did in the studio were magnificent. They were one of the best parts of the Let It Be movie. And they're not, they're just cut up and chopped up in the Get Back movie. And the bottom line is this, the Beatles wanted to get back and they couldn't and they let it be. So what do they do now? They release Get Back. But did they get back? No, they really didn't get back. They got back temporarily. So the whole thing overall, I mean, do I really want to see this again? No, I don't want to see it again. You know, I would rather watch Let It Be again. Because to me, in a way, there's a certain sincerity and a, uh, an honesty or a purity about the Let It Be movie. Well, yes. The Get Back movie, there were moments, of course, you know, when, when they were being very honest and all that. But the whole clowning around thing and is terrible. Oh, excuse me, I forgot to mention. Yoko, the freak out session? Are you kidding me? To hear it twice? It was done twice. Okay. I don't have a problem hearing that for, give me two minutes if you want. Maybe a minute and 30 seconds. But for God's sake, I mean, at that point, I, I was almost ready. I was going to turn it off because it's not the Beatles. It's not the Beatles get back or let it be. It's not. And that's one reason why it's not in the let it be movie. And to include it in that much of it, 
included in it, I wouldn't be surprised if Mrs. Lennon had something to do with that. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, obviously, it's up to her, Olivia, uh, Paul, and Ringo to make the final decisions on what's included in the Get Back movie. Way, way, way too much. And it's, it's noise. It's not music. It sounds like crap. <laughs> and it does. And it shouldn't be in the movie. You're not, she's not a Beatle. They sound like crap. And they let it go on for too long. So that's another thing that I was very upset about. So that's pretty much <laughs> my take on the whole thing. And now please, please respond. Well, let me ask you a couple questions. I, I think I got a little echo going on here, so I don't know why. But uh, you've been in bands before. This the the goal of them was to in a month wrap up a whole album and come up with like fresh original songs and and do it record it in a, a studio and then you know do a live show. So the premise of this whole thing, do you believe, was faulty or, or too overwhelming without? any kind of like real d direction? There was no real direction. They mm. were winging it. Like I said, they were trying to do it, but you could see that it was an impossible thing to accomplish. They only had six new songs, basically. Right? I mean, the dig it thing, yeah, the dig it's a jam. You know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a jam. That's not really much of a song. So, Going into it, they were going into a situation where they were a situation that they could not execute, that they could not pull off. And it became more and more obvious that that was the problem. Have you ever <laughs> been in a studio where you had all this chaos? Like, uh, oh, my God, what are they called? You have uh, the, the the kids sitting there with their shaped heads. I can't remember what their name are. They're oh, in the Harry, Harry Christian. Harry Christian. Yeah. yeah, Harry Christian's in the corner. You got Dick James coming in. You got Peter Sellers coming in. You got all yeah. this stuff going on. Have you ever been in a studio, that environment, where that much is swirling around you in the background? Well, I've been in a lot of recording studios, and I've done a lot of sessions, and unfortunately, Peter Sellers never showed up. <laughs> he, it, looks like he, it looks like he wasn't happy with that showing up at the Beatles either. It looked like it was like, a, I don't know, very unwelcoming, very weird that he was even there. Yeah. Well, you know, you know why he was there, don't you? Well, they were starting the movie, but there was a lot of drug reference to it, too, but I don't know. Tell me. Because Ringo was working with him on the starting to work with him on the Magic Christian at that time. They were in the same studio getting it set up, you know. Yeah, but it just seems to me that the one part about like why couldn't they come in with the songs? Like all things must pass. They were playing back in the White Album, the uh, Child of Nature, right. Was already, yeah, yeah. Was already being worked on in the White Album. They had some gems that, that they could just refine and, and do it. Why couldn't they do 14 days? We'll work on one song per day. Like where the, the chaos level was so high. Isn't that how it normally is done? Like, like I like the whole refining of songs, but they had a treasure trove of stuff that was pretty decent. Why couldn't they say, okay, today we work on this song. Today we work on this song. Why wasn't that done? Okay, good question. Now, let's put this in context. 
prior to January 2nd, 1969, what had happened a month prior or two months, uh, two months prior. The White Album was released. The White Album was released. After the White Album was released, George was working with, he worked with, um, he was doing his electronic music. He was doing the Wonderwall soundtrack. You know, Paul was did the Family Way, I believe, soundtrack movie. Ringo, I think, had begun perhaps maybe getting the script for The Magic Christian. And John was just doing whatever he wanted to do with Yoko. Mm -hmm. They were not, there was not an abundance of material to go in with. That was the problem. It wasn't like John, on January 2nd, John said, oh, great, lads. I've got eight new songs, you know, or or George said, well, even if George said he had five new songs, they wouldn't even listen to him anyway. And Paul would have said, oh, great, you know, I've got 10. You know, they didn't have a lot of material at this point. So that was a problem to begin with. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But I was but I mean, this not normally how you go into a studio setting is that you you refine a song. And I mean, the, 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 the idea was to have everything raw. Everything would be like, we practice this up enough that it would be live. It would sound right. live. It would yeah. be live. And yeah. that was probably a problem too, because they just didn't have that ability, but they could have easily said, we have 14 songs. This is the ones we're going on. We're not doing, uh, standards or, uh, messing me mocho. We're not doing any of that stuff. We're not playing around. It didn't, it, it didn't seem like. That was, I've never been in a studio, so I, I don't think you would break out into, you know, many other songs. You know, you really, time is time is tight, and you really got to keep it working. Yeah, well, when I've been in the recording studio, before I would go in, all the preliminary work was done. The lyrics were done. The arrangement was done and it was well rehearsed with the musicians I'm working with before we went into the recording studio. And there weren't a bunch of strangers lurking around. I mean, <laughs> once, once in a while, I'd have, you know, some friends would stop by, but they would stay in the control room. But obviously, you know, at the beginning of this in part one, they didn't know what the hell they were doing. So they're sitting around in Twickenham while they're setting up lights and stuff like that. And people are just, you know, they're in there, but they're not really producing anything. So unlike, let's say, Revolver, let's say, Rubber Soul, they would go into the studio. They had some of the songs were more developed certainly than this situation would get back and let it be you know when they went in they did like say you know Norwegian Wood you, we know we heard the rehearsals on the anthology albums but I don't think at that time because in 65 and in 66 time was of the essence they didn't have time to screw around and goof off and have fun like they did in, in the Get Back movie because they had to go maybe do a performance somewhere or go on a tour or 
work on a, a, another movie, right? So that's a striking difference. And that's one reason why, of course, as we've discussed, why those albums sound, sound so damn good is because when they went into the studio, they knew what they were doing. They weren't lost in trying to figure out what the hell we're doing. Why are we doing this? Is it going to be a show? We're going to be on a cruise ship, you know, all that nonsense. You know, it was very, it, it became, it creates chaos, you yeah. know, to the point where, you know, George said, well, screw this. You know, I quit the band. I'm out of here. You know, he had said at one point, he said, the idea of the cruise ship is quote unquote, insane and he's probably right when you think about it mm -hmm. so but to your point yeah it would have been better if they had an abundance of material and and this is the, the most important point if they had new material and they were together like they used to be rehearsing the stuff just like when john paul would go to john's house in 65 or 66 or even in 67 when john would go to paul's place in london and they worked on with a little help from my friends they did the work they were working and writing and rehearsing together they were not together after the white album even the white album had the, the Escher demos that were pre-worked you know so they they were like more organized going into the white well, album than they were in this one because of the Escher recordings at George's house. But but they did that together. They made those tapes together. They didn't do that prior to this. They were separate. As I yeah. mentioned, I told you they were doing these separate projects. And then all of a sudden for them to come together on January 2nd, 1969, without having all, done all that stuff, this is what happened. Yeah. They couldn't get back. <laughs> they had to let it be. The... Uh... Uh, yeah, so that was my questions. I'm like, okay, well, what I see is a re this is all a recipe for disaster. Paul also just turns around and says, like, I'm the only one that's kind of driving the ship and, and uh, everyone's resentful for it. You know, everyone wants to get off that ship. <laughs> they don't want yep. the Paul ship. It's weird when, when I just, I highlight it uh, at the beginning, it looks like John uh, was unwashed on the, on the first segment. And when they got into the studio, he seemed more alive and more excited. Probably when the Billy Preston came in the board and the, the songs were taking shape. But, you know, you were talking about the heroin uh, situation. I didn't see, he looked bored out of his mind. So, but I didn't see him like out of, out of control because it made it sound like he was, like he may have been on something. They all may have been on something, like smoking pot or something. But, he didn't look way out of control like that it was always said that he was okay i'll i'll buy that but he did look dirty yes he yes he, he looked, did <laughs> he looked he looked very unkept his hair was dirty he looked ratty huh. you know and he's a beetle you know no, he, he looked, looked he looked filthy like at, at the beginning and then towards the end he looked a little little better yeah, uh, he, washed, he he finally washed his hair. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, back then we they didn't have showers. Everyone had tubs. Remember that there was no showers like in people's houses. You don't think that uh, John Lennon had a shower in his mansion? Uh, probably. Uh, <laughs> with okay, so with with uh, I mean, when I got out of George Harrison, was that his confidence level? Like in our mind, he's a virtuoso. He is like a musical 
dynamite. The stuff that he's contributed to the Beatles is fantastic. But right away, you can see that his confidence level is very low. Mm. And I feel that, you know, when when Paul is creating a song or John, they pick up the chords a little faster than what George did. You can also just see John go, okay, wait, I got to wait for him to catch up and get up to speed, which is frustrating for George. You no, know, it's like he's coming up with parts. He's coming up with stuff too. And maybe it may take him a little longer, but you know, they, they make it sound like, okay, well, we got our parts down. Why it's taking you so long. So you can see that his self-esteem was, not where I thought it would have been because in retrospect, if you look at his 1969 output, it's fantastic. He's on a tear. He's on a move and his self-confidence level is very like, you know, he's a young guy. He's, it's not developed. And the most frustrating weird thing is that when he leaves, they keep on taking pictures of the pillows that he was sitting on. That <laughs> was like, that was crazy. Is that like they would even show, the pill, like, first they didn't give him a chair. They gave him a pillow to sit on. And then when he quit, they just kept on just showing the pillow where he would have been. So it's interesting to see his dynamic of where his mind was and what was happening to him as he was in the Beatles. And in retrospect, he's fantastic. Like, in, in our mind, I was like, I can't believe he's having this emotional struggle. But now that I see it, I can see why he had that emotional struggle. Oh, absolutely. It's very, very clear mm. and obvious when you see the expressions on his face. Mm. It was because, you know, Jean and Paul are talking with each other, going back and forth, working on lyrics to their songs. And George and Ringo. Ringo was looks bored to tears. Yeah. For, it, the, it, most, it, for the most part. At one point after when George when George left when George quit in the Get Back movie there's some footage of Ringo sleeping he's like this uh-huh. on the chair he was tuned out you know he was completely he didn't they didn't know if George was going to come back yeah it, it was that to me is really interesting and the thing about George Martin and Jeffrey Emmerich so it seems to me that George Martin produced all the albums, but then starting, I guess, on the White Album, he became like an executive producer. And then he had uh, Jeffrey Emmerich kind of run the the day-to-day. It sounded like he had his own business. He started to create, because they were asking about how is your clientele? How are things going? Like like he was sought after as like a master producer. Mm -hmm. Um, And his input for this was very minimal. And... You know, maybe it should have been more <laughs> like maybe he someone needed to step in and be the adult in the room. And it, he stood back and, you know, he's like, oh, maybe Ringo will just do a drum solo for an hour and a half. It's, he wasn't, you know, once in a blue moon, you saw him like reach over to a keyboard or something. But his interaction about how this is going to unfold was minimal. You're absolutely correct, because that's the way Paul and John wanted it they told george martin no overdubs we're just going to play live so what was george martin largely responsible for overdubs 
overdubbing a piano part, overdubbing an organ part, overdubbing a string quartet part, the strings or the horns or the brass or the saxophones or what have you. So George Martin's like, okay, guys, you know, I'm going to come here and I'm going to listen to you. But the Beatles took this project into their own hands. It wasn't like they said to George Martin at some point they could have when they realized that they were lost adrift at sea. They could have said, hey, George, you know, help us out here. What do you think we should do? Never happened. Yeah. It could have happened. And if it did, it would have been a completely different outcome. So George is there. And uh, to your point about him being more of an executive producer, yeah, in the White Album, he took a holiday during the White Album. And Jeff Emmerich was in charge. But then Jeff Emmerich quit the best, highest, exalted position working with the best band in the world during the White Album. So he quit and walks out. So then there's Chris Thomas, who became, he replaced Jeff Emmerich's role, for the most part, as an engineer and also as a producer. So that, again, is where we're coming from, you know? That's what was happening prior to January 2nd, 1969. And it was not a very healthy, conducive situation to get together and to make magic and and to have worked together before they went to Twickenham like they did on all the other stuff. That was, that's, to me, is the, the biggest problem here. The one other thing is, uh, Jeffrey, okay, so I'm looking at the assignment. I went and listened to the original Let It Be album. I listened, well, I listened to all the outtakes before. The Naked album I listened to, I listened to uh, um, Jeffrey, yeah. Yeah, the, Jeffrey Emmerich's like, recordings, and I listened to them as a, an assignment. If this, if this should have came out, that is, like, the, what they said, we want it raw, we want it studio, uh, we want it to show us in motion. I think Jeffrey Emmerich's like um, understood the assignment better than anyone else. Like, I think that if this is what they set out to do, his production represented what happened. It's not the best, like polished or whatever, but I think that his, uh, they scrapped, you know, when he set it out and say, okay, this is what I, I created for you guys. And they scrapped it with Phil Spector. I think that his take on this is the most, truthful as to what was going on but glenn johns was the one who was producing it yeah yeah i'm just saying when he when he turned around and said this is the, these are the songs these are the, the production value this is what i think you know this album should be like and they they went with phil and kind of doctored things up i think uh jeffrey emmerich had the right vision for the assignment i i don't know may perhaps but even if he did look what it sounded like and look what happened. Oh, it was a mess. It was a mess. Uh, so, yeah, no, it was very raw. It was too raw, and it showed the limitations of the band. Okay, that's um, right. The one thing about Yoko, did she break up the band, yes or no? No, because the Beatles, and as a matter of fact, it came out, and it's on the Fly on the Wall disc that came out with Let It Be Naked. Paul said, and he also said it again in the Get Back movie, said, well, you know, ever since Brian Epstein, Brian's been gone, Mr. Epstein's not here. It's like, you know, the, something about, you know, I don't know, something about the kids or something or being out of school or something. In other words, he's saying that there's no one. 
There's no adult. There's no adult. There's no one to really help them and to guide them. And once Brian died, some people have said, including John Lennon, said, John Lennon, there's a quote, and I think I might have it, when they came back after seeing the Maharishi, and the reporter asked them, well, you know, Brian, we heard that Brian had just died. This is August 1967. And John goes, we're screwed. So John knew. And at that point, once they got into 68 and they did the whole India thing, and then they came back and they did the Escher tapes, and then they started working on the White Album, that was the beginning of the end. Brian's gone. They're not getting along. They're four individuals working on a record together. So you're coming from that into this. So this is a continuation of the discord and them not really working together as a real tight band. And that's what happened with the Get Get Back movie and with the Let It Be movie. You know, the recording uh, that Phil Spector did, I think that given what he had to work with, I think he did a good job, you know, given what he had to work with. You and I discussed this before. Do I think the Let It Be album is a great album? No, it's not a great album, you know, but at least we heard something that came out. And of course, it came out right around the same time that the movie was released in 1970. So it was kind of a, you know, a package deal, if you will. So it's it's the whole thing is is sad overall, even though they were goofing around and they did have some fun. They did have some fun with each other, thank God. <laughs> but but still overall, you know, I don't want to see this again. I, I just don't want to see it. You know, I'd rather watch. Actually, I'd rather watch Help. You know, I'd rather watch A Hard Day's Night or even Yellow Submarine for God's sake. You know, magical mystery tour, eh, maybe. <laughs> no. <laughs> the uh, okay, so my impression of the 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 whole documentary is that, like, I've had an internal dialogue as to what really happened. I read the books, I've listened to the um, the album. I, I like Let It Be the album more than you. I like the rawness of it. I like what they were trying to do. Let, but, it be na- let it be naked, or the, no, let it be Phil Spector? the the Phil Spector one. Oh, yeah, okay. I, I don't, I don't mind it. It's actually when we ranked them, it was a lot higher. Uh, I just like, you know, I dig a pony and two of us. I think they're good songs. One after nine, nine and nine. I like them. It was a weird Technicolor dream where the 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 production value was amazing of the documentary. The audio was amazing, and I, and how they restored that is insane. They the look of it was great and everything was insider. Like if you're a Beatle fan, you understand why they're showing this. You understand Dick James. Like a regular person would be like, well, I don't care about Dick James. Or, you know, they had a, a Alan Klein meeting. Like who would know what that meant? Or or, or even the uh, you know, the the talk about the Maharishi, like that doesn't really mean too much to to a casual fan, anyways. But I like that they he gave a nod to people who followed them all along. So we got to see kind of more of what their conversation was. I think that in my mind, I thought John Lennon was more of a a tiger. And I know he was being filmed, but he seemed a little more like uh, more on keel than I thought. I thought he was, you know, uh, 
measured, somewhat sensitive, uh, kind of, you know, uh, not as uh, acidic as he was in a lot of his interviews. So I kind of thought, oh, well, you know, I, I'm getting a little different vision of him. The rest of them, I feel I got a dead one. I knew exactly what I was going to get. So it was fun to watch. It, I, they're my friends of, you know, 51 years. So it was just nice to see him, even though that we knew how the story ended. That's one thing about this documentary is that we know the ending before it happens. So we're just watching it like this train wreck just go. <laughs> and and it is a train wreck, but it's cool that, that we got to see it. So I'm a thumbs up on it for the fact that they I finally got to see a little more than what that I thought I, I knew. I'll watch it over and over. I'm listening to a lot of people's like uh, responses to this. And they seem to be picking out a lot of like, John said this, John said, and I was like, overall, I'm just kind of enjoying it. I'm not going to go deep down and say, oh, he said that, that was funny to this line. Like, I'm, I think so many people are so deep into the mix right now of it that I was like, I'm, I'm just going to enjoy it as a, you know, it is what it is. Well, I, I think it's great that you love it. You know, I'm happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can watch it. You know, as long as you'd like, as many times as you'd like. My Disney subscription <laughs> ends in a month. I'm not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, no, it's not. It's not for me. I, I'm. I'm really. I. I have to say that, and think about this, Tom. Why was it released? Why and why now? Because, listen, Paul McCartney is worth more than $2 billion. That's B as in Beatles, okay? Yoko's close to a billionaire. George is probably somewhere near there. Ringo has millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. They don't need any more money. I mean, why why are they doing this? Unless it's, I can't, unless Yoko wants to get in the movie because she wasn't in the Let It Be movie, which would be really pretty pathetic if that's the reason. I mean, that's not reason enough to do six hours of a new quote unquote, quote unquote, new movie. So why are they doing it? Well. Okay, here's the answer, Brooke. The answer, Brooke, is that people, millions of people, like my good buddy here, Tom Gowker, mm -hmm. they enjoy seeing this. They enjoy seeing the stuff that Brooke Halpin is not interested in seeing. I probably am, I'm guessing, in the vast, 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 vast minority about someone who's saying what I just said about the movie. I'm sure that most people, a buddy of mine called me. We used to be in a band together. He called me from Massachusetts the other day. Brooke, Brooke, did you see Get Back? I said, yeah, I did. He said, oh, God, it was so fantastic. It's incredible. And I'm going, well, I don't know. His name is Stephen, Stephen. I, so I told him what I told you, you know. And he's going, oh, no, 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 it's, you know, because, you know, we were in a band together and it was kind of like being in the band and and things that go on between musicians and all that. And and I said, Stephen, listen, you know, like I told you, I said, I'm really happy that you enjoyed it, you know, 
and uh, God bless you and, and watch it as many times as you like. But I and I told him why I didn't like it. So. And also another friend of mine called me yesterday, the same thing. So people are contacting me, wanting to get my opinion on it and getting emails and Facebook messages and all that. And I just I just tell them I prefer let it be because the Beatles could not get back. And I'm not getting back with the Beatles with this get back movie is what the bottom line is for me. So, again, they're doing it because there are people who want to see more. And also for people who did not see the Let It Be movie. They weren't even born when the Let It Be movie came out. So there's all those generations that came up after the Let It Be movie was released. Who never saw it. Now they're seeing this. And they're digging it. If they love the Beatles... And they never saw Let It Be, they're probably like, yeah, yeah, well, look at that. They're having fun, the goof, and all. There's Yoko screaming her, her brains out and all that other stuff. I guess people like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. much to my surprise. You know, I guess a lot of people don't like Yoko. You know, you would think that there would be something that came out there about the freakouts. But anyhow, so that's the reason why it's there. They don't. They can't be doing it because they need the money, because they don't need the money. Unless Apple, of course, their company, obviously they have something to do with it. And maybe they just said, okay, well, you know, let's just keep milking that cow, making milking that golden cash cow. I don't know. I don't want to believe that. I hope that's not the case. And I hope. They did it because of people like you and millions of other people who will enjoy seeing this way too long, unedited get back movie that should be only at the most three hours and not six. So God bless you all. I'm glad that you you enjoy it and uh, please and, and watch it as many times as you'd like. I will not be in the audience, and I'm sure most people could give a damn anyway about me being in the audience. So that's all. It's all good. It's all fine. The end note to this is that it'd be interesting if they did a clothing line of the clothes that they wore because they were very groovy. People were like commenting on what they were wearing, and uh, you know the the sweater vest with the shirts or uh, Glenn's. Uh, Oh, uh, Jeff Emmerich's like closes out of control. Uh, you know, I thought that that was Phil Spector once in a while. You know, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know, he had the wispy hair going up. It was really weird looking. But, you know, the fashion is, was interesting, just along with the fact that, you know, back then everyone smoked their brains out. Like you forget you now you can go to the grocery store and smoke. You Every bar. Oh, yeah. Smoke. Like, yeah. And, I know that they put a warning label up, smoking is involved, but yeah. that's what people did. It was one after another, after another, after another. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. And it killed George. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the teeth thing, uh, I know that you talk about British, but we didn't have whitening. Like if you look at TV shows from the seventies, people have a, a, a stains on their teeth, but now because of, you know, what they do with their, you know, the, the lightning brightening of the teeth, they're, they, they're neon. But back in the sixties, all those guys had they were smoking so much. And the tea and the tea and stains from the tea. They were all everyone was charred. So I mean, it's weird stuff that you sit there and look at and you're like, okay, well that's 
that's the 60s. That's what's going on. It wasn't uh, any kind of health consciousness, you know, connected to, oh, smoking is bad. It just, that's what people just did. That's just what it was. Didn't exist. And George probably was the most fashionable of the lot. Yeah, he looked great. With what he was wearing. He'd come into the studio with a different (laughs) costume like every day. And now it's that, what what is this? They just like, okay. And at one point he said, uh, he said, hey, can I get one of those bow ties, Mal? You know, he wanted a bow tie. And all of a sudden now he's wearing a bow tie. And then a couple of days later, John's wearing a black bow tie. You know, so these are fun, funny little bits, funny little bits. Yes. All right. Well, so we are wrapping this up. This is as anticipated as I was about this documentary was your feedback with this documentary, because we've been together for so long that your take on it was really important to me. And I text you and I was like, I don't know what we're going to get from you. So it was good. (laughs) It was good to get it documented. So we're going to release this on YouTube so they can people see us together talking for the first time. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. So that's going to, that's going to happen. Like as soon as I can download this, it's going to go out. And then we're going to do the audio version and it's going to go out when the Beatles come to America and also uh, something came from Baltimore. So that's excellent. Gonna be, I don't yeah, Wonderful. Just like the Beatles wanted it. It's all uncut and it's a long hour and 15 minutes of us chit chat. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. uh, it, it's uh, the Tom and Brooke get back session. Exactly. After yeah, all this yeah. time. So I thank you very much for giving me your time today. And uh, your opinion is very important to me. It always has been. Uh, we've been doing this for over four years or so. So. It's just great to see a friend. So I, I, I thanks. I'm so excited to see you. Well, thank you, Tom. I feel the same way as you know. It's great. Always great to be with you. And uh, just keep enjoying watching that Get Back movie. Until my subscription ends. <laughs> That's all I'm giving it. It's until December 13th, and then I'm done with it. So... <laughs> All right, great. We're going to end this conversation. Everyone who's listening, thank you very much. It's it's Brooke and Tom. Again, if you want us back, you need to put some comments in because we could talk about music forever. So we have other ideas. We want you to we want you to respond back to us. That's right. All right, we're, we're shutting down. Thank you. Something came from Baltimore tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Something came from Baltimore tomorrow, tomorrow. Something came from Baltimore tomorrow. Something came from Baltimore tomorrow. Something came from Baltimore tomorrow. Be a part of that Be More Music scene Thursdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as the Something Came from Baltimore, the show chats with musicians around the world. It's not stuffy or pretentious. It's Something Came from Baltimore, the show, right here on thebox.com. If you're here, you're far from square. Something came from Baltimore. Something came from Baltimore. Something came from Baltimore.